Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Great to see you on this Sunday morning. This is a very special day, as Simon was sharing with you, as together we welcome and celebrate the launch of a new Center Grove campus. In fact, everyone here at Clements, let's welcome everyone watching at Sherwood Forest. Will you join me? It's a joy for us to welcome uh, you and uh, to greet you on this opening day. We want to say a special welcome to all of our guests there at Sherwood Forest who have come to be part of this launch day. We pray that today will be a powerful day for you of worship and a powerful time in God's Word as you join us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining our Center Grove family. Well, today we're spending time together in the Old Testament book of Ruth. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to, to Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 21 will be our focus. Uh, if you came into the Sherwood Forest campus, you received or were offered a Bible as you came in. For those at the Clemens campus, you'll find a Bible provided underneath the chair in front of you or in front of the chair in front of you. The uh, book of Ruth is a powerful book, uh, an important book for us, and uh, has been an important book for the church for many millennia. Some have called it the greatest love story ever told, the greatest love story ever told. If you're familiar with it, you know the outlines of it. Today, we want to begin a new series entitled Love That Wins, Finding a love that wins. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in this life of ours, there are plenty of storms that come and plenty of storms that go. They come, they stay, they go. Some storms come and don't stay very long. Some storms come and they seem to stay forever, but life is full of storms. And my experience has been that the storms of our lives tend to come in two forms. Either they are storms that we create for ourselves and invite into our lives, or they are storms that just come from outside us. Either way, they set us up for a lot of disappointment, a lot of discouragement, a lot of struggle, and a lot of challenge. But there are two kinds, the kind that we give ourselves and the kind that seem to come either from others or just from the circumstances of life. I don't know if you saw this or not, but about two Wednesday nights ago in uh, Colorado, uh, the Colorado Avalanche was playing the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, it was televised. And uh, at one point, as the game was being played, a, uh, a hockey player picked up a puck, shot it into the stands. And the video uh, videographer, of course, television was tracking all of this and uh, caught a glimpse of the most extraordinary thing. Uh, a young man seated next to a young woman saw the puck coming and he leapt up with all that he had to grab that puck. And as he did, without thinking, he well, introduced his date to his elbow right in the face. Wasn't his brightest moment. But wait, there's more. <laughs> After he struck his date, caught the puck, and sat down, he reached in front of him and handed the puck to another woman. Let's just say that at the end of the day, there are storms that we bring into our own lives, and then there are storms that just come to us from other places. It was uh, the poet Longfellow who said, into every life, some rain must fall. And what he meant by that was, whether you like it or not, into this life of ours, 
there will come tragedies and heartbreaks and disappointments. There will come pain. There will come suffering. It's part of this life that we live. His poem, The Rainy Day, captured that. It was written uh, after he lost his wife of four years in a miscarriage. And trying to make sense of it all, he simply came to the conclusion, this is part of life. Disappointment, hardship, tragedy, heartbreak. Of course, Longfellow and this gentleman who shall remain nameless, and probably that's a good thing. His video's gone viral, but nobody really knows who he is, uh, which is, again, a good thing. Longfellow isn't the only one to experience that. As we turn to Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we're introduced to a woman by the name of Naomi who had a very similar experience. I want us to take the passage and turn together there and let's look at the first uh, several verses in Ruth chapter 1. The scripture says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah began to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and then, verse 5, both Malon and Kilion died, so that, and this is key, the woman was left without her two sons. She was left without her husband. Let me unpack this for you as we get started. Here we have a family living in what were uncertain times. When verse 1 says they lived in the times of, of the judges, it means that they were living in a time that was very difficult for ordinary people. There was social chaos, moral deterioration, religious confusion. There was a steady flow of violence coming at them from the outside as raiders came again and again, murdering, raping, pillaging, burning their villages and their homes. Uh, taking what they could, leaving and burning the rest. And so life for ordinary people was very, very hard. And if that weren't enough, verse 1 also tells us that into this situation there also came a famine where crops are failing and people are facing starvation. Naomi's town of Bethlehem, which means a house of bread, failed her. It had no more bread. Elimelech, responds by moving his entire family to the land of the Moabites, people who were traditional enemies of the Israelites. And so Naomi and her sickly sons are made to move into a land of strangers to look for food there. And while she's there, Elimelech dies. Elimelech fails her. And for a woman in Naomi's day, this was absolutely disastrous. Uh, a woman in her day and age had no opportunity, had no power. She depended upon her husband for protection and for provision. Her only consolations were two sons who did get married, but they had no children. And then things got even worse. Both of her sons died. And verse 5 puts it powerfully. The woman, the scripture says, was left without her sons and without her husband. And it's in this way that we're introduced to a woman who has gone from deprivation, no bread, to death, no husband, to more deprivation, her husband no longer provides, to more death, her sons are taken from her so that she has no identity any longer, no security any longer, no worth as a woman in the eyes of others. She has no hope. Life is not what she expected life would be. Not by a long shot. She's left alone. One of the most powerful little phrases. I don't know if you've ever experienced being left alone in a tough, dark time. But it is incredibly difficult 
Her world is turned upside down. Everything she ever believed is now in question. But most of all, for Naomi, it seems that love has failed her. The love of a husband has failed her. The love of her sons has failed her. And even the love of God himself all seems to have failed. And Naomi's story and Longfellow's story and your story and mine presents us with this extraordinary challenge that every one of us face. And that is when the rains of life do come, when the disappointments do come, when the hardships, the tragedies, and the heartbreaks come. What we need most is a love that is genuine and a love that is present. What we need is an undefeated attitude of goodwill that comes from others who are seeking and pursuing our help and our best. A love that overcomes what is overcoming us. A love capable of defeating what is defeating us. A love capable of standing with us in the midst of it. Today, we, we begin a new series entitled Love Wins, and I, I want to begin the series by looking at what genuine love actually looks like and asking the question, how can we know when love is true? What does genuine love look like? And then how can we know when genuine love is actually true, when it is, is uh, present in our lives, coming from others, and by the way, coming also from us to others? Our, our passage for the morning is exceptional in helping us to identify that and to see that because it gives us three responses to Naomi's dark and difficult situation. It gives us the response of Naomi. It also gives us the response of Ruth, one of her daughter-in-laws. And then finally, it gives us the response of God himself. It's a little bit hidden, but it is there, and the response of God to her situation unpacks and unfolds as the story goes on, but we can see it even in this opening chapter. And as, as these responses uh, come to the fore, Ruth 1 through 21, uh, show us, give us an answer to how we can know when love is true by showing us love's, first of all, persistent problem then love's true pattern, and finally, love's great promise. Love's persistent problem, love's true pattern, which helps us to identify when love is true, and then love's great promise, which ultimately gives us great hope. I want to look, first of all, with you at love's persistent problem, and we find that in verses 8 through 13 and verses 20 through 21, love's persistent problem. Here we have the first of Naomi's responses to her situation recorded for us. We look at verse 8, and uh, in verses 8, 9, and 13 particularly, Naomi says to her uh, daughters-in-law this. She says to them, listen, I don't have anything to give you. Uh, you, you both had the only sons I have. She says to them, I, I, I can't provide for myself, much less provide for you. So here's what I really want to encourage you to do. Go back. Go back to your mothers. Go back to your own people. Go back. You're still young enough. Uh, hopefully, you will find some, some additional husbands, some new husbands who will provide for you, who will protect you. I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. And so she pleads with them. Go, she says in verse 8. Return each of you to your mother's house. And then she says, this is interesting. She prays and she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, the Lord grant, she says, this is what I'm praying for, the Lord grant that you also find rest, each of you, in the house of her uh, own or new husband. And when they plead with her, when they plead with her to go with her, she says, finally, look again in verse 13, she says, no, my daughters, no, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, watch now, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What is vital for us here is understanding Naomi's response uh, as we see it at the end of verse 8 and as we see it at the end of verse 13. On the one hand, at the end of verse 8, she says that she's praying that the Lord will deal with, with these daughters-in-law kindly and that he will give them rest or that he will give them relief. 
And these are actually great statements of faith in her God. She's saying that I'm praying to my God because I know that he can deal and that he does deal kindly with people. That word for dealing kindly in the Hebrew is from chesed. Chesed. Do you want to practice that? Probably not. Chesed. Hesed. And hesed has to do with a loyalty, a devotion, an unfailing kind of love. Some define it as a loving kindness. Its equivalent in the New Testament is agape or unconditional love. So uh, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, I'm praying that you will experience the faithful love of God and that he will give you rest. But she says at the very same time in verse 13, while I'm praying that this God of Hesed, this God of unfailing love and unfailing loyalty will bless you, the hand of the Lord, that same God, has turned against me. I know God is capable of being for people. But after all I've experienced, I'm now pretty clear on the fact that he can also be very much against me. In the original language, the description when she says the hand of the Lord is against me, the, the word that's used there is the word for an advancing army. He has come like an army against me. The same God capable of chesed, loving kindness is coming against me. So now when the love of Elimelech has failed her and she's lost him and the love of her sons has failed her and she's lost them, she, she finds that the love of God has failed her as well. She's left alone. Just when she needed God most, she's left alone. And this view is repeated later in the story as well. Look at verses 20 to 21. She comes back to her hometown of Bethlehem and the women are going, is this Naomi? And her response to them in verse 20 is, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, bitter, bitter. Why? Because she says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The all-powerful God has marred my life with disaster forever. I went away full. Do you see that in verse 21? I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? He's judged me guilty of something. I don't know what it is. And as a result, he's brought this calamity upon me. Now, this is important because Naomi also believes that nothing happens by chance, that God is sovereign and what comes into her life is what God is allowed to pass into her life. And for some reason, she now believes he is against her when before he was for her and she doesn't know why. She was and she is still convinced that God is a God of chesed, of loving kindness. But now she's realized something else. In her mind, He's a God whose love is capable of changing. In her mind, somehow she's failed him. In her mind, somehow he's now coming down on her. She hasn't been what he wanted her to be. She hasn't done what she, he wanted her to do. And his love, like other loves that she's experienced, has now been lost. And when you lose love, you become bitter. And this is the great problem of love that you and I face as human beings. It's not just that the storms of life come rolling in and rolling out of our lives. It's that the love that we need when we're going through those storms, that love that is capable of sustaining us and strengthening us, so often fails us. And sometimes it seems as if God himself has failed us. There are people hearing the sound of my voice right now who would have to say that is exactly who I am that described me. I have been through, I am in a storm and I gotta tell you, the love of people has failed me and I suspect the love of God has failed me. 
Now, there are a lot of reasons why love fails when storm comes. Uh, one of the reasons that, that love fails when storm comes, storms come is because the love wasn't real to begin with. There is a counterfeit kind of love. In fact, there are multiple versions of counterfeit loves. You've encountered them. There are some who say they love you, but they want to control you. Some who say they love you, but that what they have for you is lust and not love. There are some who say they love you but they're in that relationship for whatever they can get from the relationship. And when storms come into our lives, those counterfeit loves run. They run. There are reasons why love fails as well, because there is such a thing as a conditional love. There are people who will uh, show us an undefeatable kind of love as long as we give them what they want or we give them what uh, they need. They'll even stand by us in tough times so long as we perform, so long as we give them what they say they need or what they expect, so long as. And what we see here happening in Naomi's life is that this very human kind of love, and, and, and let's be honest, you've given conditional love, I've given conditional love, you've experienced conditional love, and uh, it is uh, a painful thing, especially, especially when those storms are coming. Very human kind of love, but what Naomi's doing is she's identifying God's love as being like this very human kind of love. And so she's saying, God's judged me. I, I don't know what I've done. I, I don't know wh where it is I've messed up, but I, I used to know his hesed. I used to know his loving kindness. Now it's all gone. I know God's love is capable of winning. I, I know that God's love is capable of overcoming. But, but what I've learned is it's only if I keep performing. And so from her perspective, when life is good, God is good. When life is bad, I must be bad because God has turned his back on me. The great recurring problem of love is that it seems that no matter who gives it to us, God or people, it fails us, it flees from us, we lose it. And when we lose it, we grow bitter. We cannot be pleasant. We can only be bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. At least she was honest. At least she was real. You know, it strikes me that one of the uh, really uh, interesting questions you might ask your spouse, but maybe not, on your way home today, is what would you call me? And uh, lady, if you're asking your husband that question, his best answer is, I don't know what I'd call you, but what I'd call me is a guy who will not leap up for a puck and hit you in the forehead with my elbow. <laughs> that much I know. I would never do that to you. What would people who know you say of you? See, I suspect there are a lot of people if they were honest with themselves, want to be pleasant, and they want their lives to be pleasant, but the reality is that one of the inevitable storms of life or several inevitable storms of life have come, and it's left them very, very bitter. People failed, and it seems God has failed. And the question we have to ask is, is Naomi right? And if she is, why is she right? And if she's not right, why is she not right? Now, you're going to expect me to say to you, Naomi is wrong. And if that's what you're expecting, you're right. That's what I'm going to say. But do you know why I would say Naomi's wrong? And the answer to that question is no, you don't know. That's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we're here. So, but what if Naomi is wrong? And, and actually she is. What if she's wrong at least about God's love. I mean, husbands do die. Sons pass away. We do lose love in this life. But, but what if Naomi's wrong? 
I want you to notice something with me. Naomi seems to have done what so many of us tend to do when the storms of life come. She has made her experience the measure of who God really is. Instead of taking him at his word in spite of what life has brought her. One of the affirmations of both Old Testament and New Testament that God makes of himself is that he is love. He is the personification of chesed. Uh, He is the personification of agape. He is faithful and kind and always in pursuit of what is good for his people. He's loyal and devoted and, and unfailing in his pursuit of what is best. Regardless of what Uh, the lives of his people have included what they've done to themselves or what they've done to others. If we take as our measure, our experience, if we take as our measure of God, our experience, inevitably what we find is a God who is just like the people sitting around us. who can only offer us a love that sooner or later is probably going to fail. And we will always like Naomi be bitter trying to live one of two ways, trying somehow to earn God's love, trying somehow to perform, to get back into performance mode so that God will finally love me so that my life will will be better and have his blessing, or we will live bitter, always in the pursuit of a love coming from somewhere or someone that can actually meet our needs as we live in this life that is always full of storms. Either we're in one, coming out of one, or we got one coming. If we're not careful, we will look for love in all the wrong places. But what if Naomi's wrong? What if you can't measure God by your present experience? What if that isn't fair? Maybe the wiser course is to take him at his word, trust him, and watch. You say, oh, that's easy for you to say. No, I I, I got storms. I got storms just like you do. I've had some big storms in my life. I've had some seasons where the storms just kept coming and I, it wasn't just a little bit of rain coming in. I thought I was living in an ongoing monsoon. You ever been there? Yeah. You live very long, you'll get a monsoon. This is such an encouraging message, isn't it? <laughs> such an uplifting message for a first Sunday at Sherwood Forest. It's just so uplifting. Actually, it is. Actually, it is. Look with me secondly and love's true pattern. So here's Naomi feeling as if love has failed her on every level. And that leads us to ask the question, what is love's true pattern? What should she be looking for? And the answer shows up in an unexpected place. Look at verses 14 through 17. I want you to see this. Uh, This is an unexpected development in Naomi's life. The pattern for true love is found in Ruth's response to Naomi's life and is recorded for us in both her unforgettable actions and in her unforgettable words. The chesed, the chesed, the loving kindness that Naomi had once seen in God but uh, now missed is starting to show up again in Ruth despite Naomi's pleas, her bitterness, and her complaints about God uh, where Orpah's vision, uh, version of love, do you see it in verse 14? Look at it. Where Orpah's vis- version of love is simply to kiss and leave Ruth's version of love is to kiss and cling. Pretty powerful. She clings. And Naomi is so bitter. She can't see what's happening. And so she says again to Ruth, go back. Do what Orpah did. Do what Orpah did. Go go on and leave. Go back to your mother. Go back to your own people. Stop clinging. Ruth's words spoken after Naomi urges her one more time to go back 
are, are powerful, some of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. She says, do you see them there in verse 16? She says, do not urge me, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Don't, don't urge me to leave you. Don't urge me to return from following you. I will not abandon you, Naomi. No matter how bitter you are, how angry you are, how hurt you are, I will not abandon you. I'm going to be where you are. I'm committing my life course to your life course. I'm making a radical decision and a radical commitment to you. You have nothing to give to me, but, but I am here. I am for you. I'm for your good, even when you can't see any good in yourself. Your people will become my people, and, and your God, my God. I, I, I'm, she's making a declaration of faith. I, I, I've given up my, my old God of Chemosh, that angry, vengeful God, and I, I'm choosing this God who deals kindly with his people. I'm here because my faith has changed. This God who pursues the good of his people has won my heart. And so I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. This is my commitment. I'm not going anywhere. And so what we see in the midst of this tragic story of defeat is an unexpected victory for Naomi. This is, uh, there is a love that is ready to care, a love that is ready to help, a love that is ready to act. This is a love that will not go away. And it gives us yet another great lesson from this opening chapter of, of Ruth. Yes, there are loves that kiss and leave. There are those kinds of love. But there is also a kind of love that kisses and clings. And that is the essence of what genuine love does. Real love sticks. Real love stays. Real love wins by outlasting the bad and the worst around us and outlasting the bad and the worst inside of us. Solomon describes uh, this, this same kind of love in, in what is almost like uh, the Old Testament version of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, he says, For love, genuine love, true love, is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for, for that kind of love all the wealth of his house, everything he owned, the person who possessed it would turn him down flat. He would be utterly despised. Once you found a love like this, you can face anything. There are storms in this life that money cannot fix and cannot overcome. And what we need is a love that wins. Solomon says there is such a love. And there is Ruth in Naomi's life, in the midst of her bitterness, her disappointment, her anger and her frustration, saying to her, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick, and I'm going to stay. And you can't ask me to do otherwise. You have nothing to give me, but I'm not here for me. Did you catch that? You have nothing you can give me, but I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. This is what the New Testament describes as a love that never fails. Genuine love. Does it kiss? Yeah. 
but more importantly, genuine love clings. That's its pattern. That's its pattern. Now, this love that, that clings comes with a great promise, and I want us to see that this morning as well in verses 21 and 22 as this chapter comes to an end. Uh, there is a third response, and we can miss this if we're not careful. We see Naomi's response. We see Ruth's response, but there is a third response, and it is the response of God himself. It's a bit hidden, Naomi couldn't see it. You and I can see it. She couldn't see it because she was looking for the wrong kind of love uh, and uh, missed it. But it's a love made very plain to us when we hear uh, Naomi say at the end of verse 21, why call me Naomi pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And verse 22 immediately says, and so in this way, with this attitude, Naomi returned, and what's the next phrase? And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was with her. How many of you like to spend time with negative, bitter people? I'll give you a few more seconds to think about it. <laughs> negative, bitter people. What? Naomi cannot see in the midst of her bitterness is the consequence of love's great promise, the, the great promise that God makes to his people. Notice this one who had left full and, and is returning empty also has something else that is happening in her life that she can't see. Do you see it at the end of the, of the chapter? She comes to Bethlehem, and what is going on? Well, it's the beginning of a barley harvest. She comes to the house of bread, an empty person, to a barley harvest that is going to be incredibly full. Two gifts are coming into her life. One has already arrived, one is coming. Two gifts of God's love to Naomi in her dark and terrifying and soul-numbing time. See, God never stopped loving her. He is getting ready to show her that his love is the genuine kind. That his love isn't a kind that kisses and leaves. It is a kind that, that clings even to bitter, sharp, angry people. What Naomi doesn't know is that God is at work in her life for her, bringing her to a place of fresh fullness. It, 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 uh, this gift of God, these two gifts of God, show Naomi two things that she desperately needs to see. Number one, she isn't alone. And number two, she is not without love. She may be empty. She may be bitter. She may be unfulfilled. She may not be able to see it, but there in her life is someone to walk with her and someone who loves her. And the one who sent Ruth and the one who sent the harvest is God himself. God is still for her good. He still holds out the promise of a genuine love. It is the promise of a victorious pursuit of ultimate good for those who belong to him. God's promise is a persistent pursuit of the ultimate good of those who belong to him. It's a terrible thing when your husband dies. It's a terrible thing when you lose children. It's a terrible thing when you go hungry. But none of those things change the character or the nature of God or the truth of his great promise. Even when it looks like others are against you and circumstances have conspired to harm you, there is one thing I want you, Naomi, always to remember is that I am for you. I am not like an army coming against you. He's beginning to unpack that great truth.
loves me. He's for me. And what a faithful follower of Christ will always seek to do. And and I don't always get it right. You won't always get it right. But this is always our goal. Is that when the storms are on the horizon and when the storms actually arrive, what we must do, what we must choose to do again and again and again and again is to remind ourselves He loves me. And it is to refuse to let the circumstances of today decide for me who the eternal God is for me today and tomorrow. He loves me. And at the end of the day, what that means for me that this all-powerful, almighty God loves me is that I can claim the promise and the truth. One day I will look and I will see all of these storms that pass through my life, all of the tragedies and the disappointments and the heartbreak and the hardship. One day I will see all of these things. And I will understand perfectly what he meant when he said, watch me. If you're mine, all things work together for your good. That is the promise of my love. When you can't, See his hand in the storm. The best and greatest and finest strategy is to keep trusting his heart. He loves me. He loves me with a love that does not fail. The question that we're asking this morning is how can we know when love is true? And the answer doesn't come from looking at Elimelech's life. It doesn't come from looking at the lives of her sons. The answer really doesn't come from Ruth, but the answer actually comes from the God who is, as the Bible says, himself love, who is the uh, personification of chesed, of loving kindness. He is the God who shows us that love that is true is always a love that remains. And when you step back and you look at the sweep of human history, When you look at the apex of human history, what you find there at the apex of human history is a God who loved enough to send his own son to come, to stick, to stay through abuse, rejection, to take upon himself your sins and mine to be placed on a cross raised high in humiliation. The Son of God, as the Scripture says, who could have called thousands of angels to bring him down. He did not move. He did not cry out. He clung, he stayed. The great theologian of another generation, Karl Barth, was once asked, what is the single greatest truth you've ever learned? And this man with a brilliant mind and a brilliant intellect said in response, these words, Jesus loves me. This I know.
He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And it's when we cross the line of faith and take the gift of his love that what God does is he puts us in a position of great strength. And we're able to live our lives calling ourselves Naomi instead of Mara. Because God in his great grace and his great son has given us a rock, a firm place to stand and a hope and a future for tomorrow that keeps the storms of life, even the big ones, even the monsoons, always in their proper perspective. And at the end of the day, I can stand whatever I'm going through if I know if I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The cross proves it's so. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you that in this place, we are able by your grace to step back and look at the full sweep of history. And we're able to acknowledge that we've done some things in our lives that today we're embarrassed about. We've been to our own hockey games and made our own poor choices. We've been in those times of great storms and pain and hurt and disappointment like Longfellow, like Naomi. But as we step back and look at the full sweep of history, seeing the cross, Father God, we find in your cross a love that cannot help but win a love capable of defeating everything that is defeating us, able to overcome all that overcomes us. And for this, Father God, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you, if you would, all across the room to stand to your feet. song we're going to sing today is new to us. It may not be new to you. It's a wonderful song. It is, a, I would call it a testimony song. It's a uh, testimony to the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is a story. person who's experienced more than one storm but at just the right time found the love that wins it's a story of every follower of Jesus Christ if you're a follower of his today this is your story the question that I have for you is is the story you're telling a story of pleasant joy, even in sorrow, even in storms? Or is the story you're telling a story of bitterness in storms and out? Some of you here today, you've looked all of your life for a love that would not fail you all of your life for a love that would receive you to accept you. You've looked all of your life for someone who could stand by you, stick with you, who would say to you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. 
at your highest, at your lowest, I'll be there. You've looked all of your life for that kind of love. And I want to say to you that the good news of Jesus is that such a love has come. Such a love is here. And for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, confessing their hockey games, confessing their sin and their failures, putting their faith in Christ to all those who take that step is given a gift of living the rest of life knowing what the cross means, knowing its power and being able to say, He loves me. He's for me. Today, you're ready to make that step. Take that step. I want to invite you to slip out from where you are and come. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and your name today is Mara, not Naomi, and today you would come and just say, I, I need someone to pray with me. I've been bitter over something that's come. I've been looking at God through the lens of my experience. I want to invite our prayer team to come and take their places, and we'd be glad to pray with you today. But this is the song for the day. This is the song for the moment. Let's sing this song together with joy. You come as together we sing. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.